You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. How are you guys doing this morning? Good, good. Some of you are doing well. That's good. This half, mostly. I'll, I'll talk to you guys. All right, how are you guys doing over here? You guys good this morning? Yeah, good. It's a good day to be at church, isn't it? It's a good day to be alive. It's a good day to be together Sunday morning. And uh, I just want to say welcome to the Gateway Church once more. And uh, just thank you for being here. Um, I hope that you came this morning ready to receive. Um, You know, I think anytime you come to church, you should come to church expecting, right? You know, this isn't just the time to go through the motions or to sing a couple of songs. This is a time to worship and to receive. Because I believe that every time you come to church, God wants to do something. Amen? It doesn't matter who's preaching, who's leading worship, who's doing the prayer, who's receiving the offering. It doesn't matter. God wants to do something today. Amen? Amen. And so I just believe that this morning God's going to move. I really do. I believe that God's going to use this humble uh, guy this morning to bring a word that's going to, you know, bear fruit in your life. Right? That the word, when we make it the, the highlight of the show, it doesn't matter who's speaking it. What matters is if it's the word. And this morning we're going to jump into the word, and I'm excited about that. Um, my name is Pastor Pete, and I'm the youth pastor here at the Gateway Church. Um, I uh, speak to the youth. I love the, the youth of the lakeshore, and we do life together, and it's awesome. Um, but this morning I have the privilege of uh, being in here today. Um, And speaking for Pastor Ben, he is away with his family, uh, getting some much-needed vacation time. And so I have the opportunity to continue our series. Now, those of you who have been tracking with us know that we have been tracking through uh, the Gospel of John, right? And uh, hopefully you've pre-read and been following along in the Gospel. And today we're going to be picking up in uh, John 11. And uh, has anybody of you pre-read this yet? Yeah, come on. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. So hopefully you pre-read and you would know if you pre-read that this is a story of Lazarus, right? It's a story of Jesus and his resurrection power. It is a story of life where there was death and it is an exciting story. It's an exciting story and it has a special place in my heart. A very special place in my heart. So if you will, go ahead and uh, start flipping your Bibles if you got them to John 11. And as you do so, I want to share with you just a little bit about my story. Because I think it's relevant this morning for you guys. Because this, this story, when I read it, it stirs me up. It stirs me up, and I'll tell you why. Um, you know, in my early 20s, in my teens and 20s, I was kind of struggling in my relationship with the Lord. I really was. And um, I was trying to live it out, but it was hard, and, and, you know, I was struggling, and it took me a while to, you know, get over that. And I remember one day I was doing my own thing, um, totally living my life my own way, all right, 100% the way I chose to live it. This is my story, and I'm sticking to it. I was living my life the way I wanted to live it, the way I thought was best, the way that made the most sense to me, and I was completely and totally unsatisfied. I was. I was unsatisfied. I had a beautiful wife, wonderful kids. I had a business. I had a job. I had cars. I had money. From a worldly perspective, I had everything a guy could want. But I was completely and totally unsatisfied with my life. Just a deep sense of, of like, is this it? Is this what I'm living for? 
Is this worth it? That's kind of what was going on in my life. And I remember I was in my truck on my way to, um, I think it was Charlotte on the highway, 96 in Lansing. I was going around a bend, and I remember I was praying. And I was like, God, how come I'm stuck doing this? How come I'm not happy? God, how come my life is this way? And I remember God spoke to me very, very clearly, clearer than I've ever heard God before in my life up until that point. And God said, Pete, you chose this life. You chose this. This is not what I have for you. It's not. You chose this. He's like, are you finally ready to do things my way? And I took a deep breath, and I said, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm finally ready. You see, God had been trying to get my attention the whole time. He was reaching out to me trying to get my attention, but I wasn't listening, and I was running, and I was doing things my own way, but God uh, allowed me discomfort in my life to the point where I finally cried out to him and gave him my attention, and that's when he spoke to me. So that's my story, a little bit. And so as I went, I I knew that um, when I was in junior high, junior hires in here. I knew I was in junior high and a young high schooler that God had called me to preach his word. I knew that. I did. I remember preaching in uh, chapel at my Christian school, and um, I remember, you know, I knew that, but towards, as I got further along, I drifted further away, so I knew it. And at that point, being a businessman and where I was, I knew that, that that's not the call that God had in my life. It just wasn't. And so when I finally gave him control, I knew, I knew what I had to do. I knew that I had to get educated. I knew that I had to find a Bible school somewhere. I knew that I had to learn a lot and put myself in a place of learning so I could be trained because I was untrained. So I did that. I found a, a Bible school, and I enrolled myself, and I put myself through college um, for two years as, you know, while I owned my business, and, you know, I went to classes, and I had my crew working, and, you know, I was in a great place spiritually at that time. I'm trying to give you some background to, before the story. I was at a great place in my life spiritually. I gave my heart to the Lord. I recommitted my life. I remember I was doing what God has called me to do. And I'm thinking, man, I'm finally getting some momentum here. Finally getting some momentum here. I remember I was at a uh, seminar where a a missionary, it was like a mission seminar kind of deal. It was a Sunday night. And one of my favorite speakers, Chili Chilton, he's a youth pastor, and I look up to him. And and when he speaks, he he just stirs my heart. And I remember he was speaking, and he was talking about his church plant, Detroit, which I've taken some of the youth. We've been to Detroit. We've served that same church. I remember he was speaking, and he was encouraging us and telling about all that God has done in Detroit. And I remember it stirred my soul, touched me. And Deb and I were so touched by what he had to say that we gave him. We went out and did the holy handshake thing, you know. Um, We went out, we wrote him a check, a large check, and I put the money in his hand, and I shook his hand, and with tears in my eyes, I said, man, God's doing great things through you. You inspire me. You're the man. Keep on doing what God has called you to do. And, And I was just so full, right? I was so full. It was a good time in my life, and I was finally starting to get some momentum. 
And then all of a sudden, something happened. I remember that very next day after I had, you know, given one of the largest gifts financially I've ever given to this day. At about five in the morning, I remember this so clearly, and I've asked my wife permission to share this story with you. I remember that someone was beating on my door with a tenacity at about five in the morning, just beating on my door. And those of you who know me, I'm not a morning person. And so I rolled out of bed. I had about an hour and a half before my crew would show up at my house. And I rolled out of bed and I went to the door and I was like going to punch whoever it was in the face. I'm just being real. I would open the door and I'm like, what? And it was my father-in-law and his girlfriend standing on my front porch. Tears in their eyes. And that's when we got word that Deb's brother had died. Deb's brother was younger than me. He had a wife and an eight-month-old kid. And I got word that he had just passed away. I invited them in. I sat him down on the couch, woke my wife up. She came out. She said, what's going on? And I said, honey, something bad happened. Something bad happened. Please sit down. She sat down and her dad looked her in the eye and said, we lost Chase. We lost Chase. I'm expecting my wife to, to go hysterical, crying. That wasn't her first response. She looked at me and she, she said, Pete, that's not right. That's not right. This isn't it. This is not, this is not right. We need to go and we need to raise him from the dead. We need to go. Now, her brother lived in Florida. Her brother lived in Florida. His family was in Florida. She said, we need to go right now. And we need to go to Florida. We need to pray over him. I said, okay, baby, let's, let's go. I called my foreman on the phone. I said, Jay, Jay, there's been a tragedy. I've got to go. We're working on a huge job in Charlotte, a huge apartment complex for JLS builders. I said, buddy, you're going to you, you're gonna have to cover for me. You know what to do, get the trailer, get the truck, go out there. You guys do your thing. And by 10 o'clock that morning, I was on a plane to Florida to go pray over my brother-in-law who had just passed away, to pray the prayer of faith, to see if we could raise him from the dead. Right? This is, this is what we did. We got there. We, we made it to the hospital. They told us that, that they were doing an autopsy to figure out what would happen, and we weren't, we weren't going to be able to, to pray over him right now. So we prayed. We, we were there for my sister-in-law and her baby boy. We uh, took all their stuff. We put it in a U-Haul, and we moved them back to Lansing, Michigan that weekend. And it wasn't until the wake that we actually got to pray over Chase. We got there early, before the minister, before our family, before the guests. And we walked in there, and we laid hands on our brother. The first time we had gotten to see him since he passed away, and we prayed the prayer, and we, we, were, we were like, Jesus, we're asking you for a miracle. We're asking you to raise him. And I wish I could say that we got our miracle that day. But it didn't work out like that for us. That's some tough stuff. It's a tough story. You know, you would think, giving my life to the Lord, I know Chase was just recently turning his life around too. 
that God was moving in his life. And that he was starting to go to church. And you ask yourself, man, why this tragedy? Why? How could this be? And so as I was diving into the story about Lazarus, I found some great answers in there for me, personally. And I'd like to share them with you this morning. Because I believe there's some truth here for you today. If you've you know, you ever been through a tragedy, or if you're ever going to go through a tragedy, if you ever had an experience like mine, I believe that found within this story, although the end of my story didn't end exactly like this story, I believe the answer is found in this text. And we're going to read it this morning. So turn with me in in your Bibles to John 11. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read through this story. And I hope you find some encouragement this morning. John 11, verse 1, says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus was sick, was the same who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And they're giving you context here of which Mary, which Martha, which Bethany. It's very clear who they're talking about. They even give some context and mentioned um, Mary's gift to the Lord. And we're going to hear about that coming up here in the next chapter. An amazing expression of love. So, so we know who they're talking about. And in verse 3 it says, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now sent word is an interesting statement for us here in this day and age, isn't it? You know, Jesus pulled out his iPhone. Or Mary pulled out her iPhone, Jesus, the one you love is sick, send. Boom, he got the message, right? No, 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 that's not how it was. She, got, she, went, she went to her computer, sat down in front of her computer, sent him an email. Jesus, the one you love is sick, sent. Right? No, 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 no. She went and she wrote a letter, licked the stamp, put it on the stamp, and put it in the mailbox and expedited it. Is that how that happens? <laughs> he said, I love you, Dennis. He's like, yes. No, that's not how it happened. When he sent word, when she sent word to Jesus, she sent a messenger. Now, that's important to the story, and I'll tell you why here in a minute. She sent word because the place where Lazarus had passed away and died and the place where Jesus was was about a day's travel. Everybody say one day. One day. It was about a day's time. So Lazarus fell ill. They sent word to Jesus via a messenger and sent this messenger to Jesus saying, the one you love is sick. Interesting. Interesting. They move on. The one you love is sick. Now I believe that, you know, to the situation that I just described to you earlier, I find a bit of 
a nugget of truth inside this first, just this very first few verses of this chapter. Notice the language, okay? This language is important. It says, the one you love, everybody say, the one you love is sick. Now, wait a minute. Is Jesus not 100% God and 100% man? Is he? He is, right? 100% God, 100% man, and Jesus loved Lazarus, right? Jesus had love for Lazarus, and yet what was happening to Lazarus? He was dying, and he was sick. Now that right there should give you some insight about God's character right here. The one you love is sick. Jesus loved Lazarus. And that same love he has for Lazarus, he has for you. They didn't name Lazarus. He didn't say, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. No, he said, the one you love is sick. Or someone who you love has fallen ill. Now, how many of us in here have ever fallen ill or been sick in our lives? How many of us have ever had trouble or hardship? Let me tell you this. Sickness and death are not an indicator of whether or not God loves you. Hear me. Sickness and death is not an indicator. Jesus is God, 100% God, 100% man, and he loved Lazarus, and yet Lazarus was still ill. Lazarus was still dying. That doesn't mean just because we're going through trouble that God doesn't love us. You see, when we go through stuff, the feelings that come, it's only natural. We're humans. The, only, the feeling that comes is God must not care about me. And that's not true this morning, folks. I would like to encourage you today that you are important. Another lie that comes is God doesn't heal. If you've been praying for a healing and you're like, God, I love you and I'm serving you and I'm doing all the right things. And your healing doesn't come, well, God just must not heal. God, maybe God's not real. These are the lies that the enemy sows into your brain, into your subconscious, and we say them to ourselves and we begin to believe them. But I'm here to tell you that is not true. Can I just encourage you that no matter what you're going through, God loves you, he cares about you, and get this, he wants to take your pain and turn it into a miracle for his glory. Amen? That's what God wants to do in your life. When we read the one Lazarus, the one you love is sick, never let your circumstances define how you interpret God's love. And we do that sometimes. We get mad when stuff doesn't go our way. But let me tell you, don't let your circumstances ever influence the way you interpret God's love. Don't do it. God has a plan, and we may not understand it. It may not make sense to us. His answer may not be the answer that we want, but don't mistake that for the fact that he doesn't love and care for you because he does. That's a good word this morning. Moving on in verse 4, he says, when he heard this, Jesus said the sickness, he, this is what Jesus tells the messenger. He says this in the presence of the messenger. He says, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. We get some insight onto 
how God's going to take this tragic incident and spin it for God's glory and so that people may believe in Jesus. It keeps in step with the entire theme of this gospel. It was written, John tells us, it was written so that we may believe in Jesus, that our faith would grow. This is a faith-building book. And Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. And let's pause right there. I acknowledge the fact that Lazarus did in fact die, didn't he? Lazarus passed away. Sickness did enter Lazarus, and Lazarus did die. But although death found him, it was not the end result. Though Jesus loved him, he did die. And that's hard for us to understand. Some of us may be thinking, what? What? But it's important that we get God's perspective when, when we interpret things like this. Now, the part of my story, my wife and I's story that I didn't tell you purposely is when we're on our way praying together on the way to go into the funeral home where we were going to pray and ask God to raise her brother, God spoke to my wife. And this was a word that she is, still stands on. God spoke to my wife and said, Deborah, I've got him. I've got him. Meaning, he's in heaven with Jesus. And that's a comforting word for us all, isn't it? And we have got to take that from a concept to a reality that we know that this life isn't God's best for us. You know what I'm saying? I'd like to pause for a moment and, and put some stuff into perspective here that Lazarus' de death happened for the glory of God, but Lazarus was a real person. This is a historical event. This is not a story. This is not fiction here, folks. This is reality, that Lazarus was a real person, and, and he lived a real life, and he died a real death, and Jesus rose him from the dead, and all the glorious resurrection power. Isn't that amazing? But I'm here to tell you that Lazarus died again. Lazarus died twice. Every person that Jesus ever healed miraculously fell ill again and died again, right? Every single one of them. Because this life is not God's best for us. It's not. In his statement, this sickness will not end in death is as true today for Lazarus as it was the moment he spoke it. Amen? Because he's in heaven with Jesus. He's in heaven. And if you're a believer, the good news is, is that is not, death is not the end of any of our stories. It's not, none of our stories end in death. We know that, that there is life beyond this life, and it is a better one. And there is no sickness and no pain and no death and no hurt. And that is the miraculous power of Jesus, that he walks in resurrection power. Death isn't the end of our story. It's not the end of Lazarus' story. I just wanted to pause for a minute and put that into perspective for us this morning. He loves us. And so let's commit together, right here, all of us together, right here. No music, no emotions. Let's commit together that both our life and our death can be used for God's glory any way he sees fit. Let's commit that. It's easy to say, 
harder to walk through, but the commitment is worth it. Because on the other end lies an eternity with Jesus. Well, we'll see Lazarus, my brother-in-law, every loved one you've ever lost who knows Jesus. That is the hope. That is the resurrection power. And we're going to see that Jesus deals on both sides of our eternity. Verse 5, he says, it says this, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I love the fact that they're naming each one of them. He didn't love them as a family, but he loved them individually. That's important for us to know because God loves you as an individual. He knows you and loves you. Verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Everybody say two more days. Right? Because we know how long did it take the messenger to get to Jesus? One day. Right? Took one day. Then Jesus stayed where he was for two more days. Right? And so if Jesus were, after those two days, left to go to where Lazarus was, how many days is that? That's four total days. That's important here. We're going to find out why in a minute. but, But Jesus stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Wow. You know. But let's pause for a moment. The fact that Jesus didn't drop what he was doing and run straight to Lazarus. That's interesting, isn't it? Have any of you ever read that and went, huh, I would have dropped what I was doing and I would have ran to Lazarus. But we see here that the will of God was more important than our own personal agenda. And the same to Jesus. He didn't drop what he was doing because he understood that it wasn't God's will for that moment that he needed to finish the task that was at hand before he went and did his next assignment. God's will is important. He had God's perspective. And he knew and he was submitted to that plan. Let me read to you Romans 8.28 because we want to have the same kind of perspective in our own lives. Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that in a few random, isolated incidents, God works for the good. Is that what it says? No, 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 wait. And we know that in all things, all things, everybody say all things, not a few, not some, not just a couple, but in all things, the hard stuff, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the sad stuff, the happy stuff, God works all things for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to what? His purpose, his will, those who are walking in his will. Jesus understood that. Verse 8, it says, but Rabbi... This is his disciples talking. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. And here we see the concerns of men rising up to get in the way of God's will. Right? Because Jesus says, all right, two days have gone. I have done what God has called me to do. Now I'm going, and I'm going, and I'm going to heal Lazarus. And the concerns of men were rising as a deterrent. Now, I think the disciples' concerns were valid, don't you? The truth of the matter was, they did want to kill Jesus. They did not like him. They actually left. 
And sometimes your concerns of your life are valid. When we ask God to do something and his answer is delayed or he tells you to go somewhere and you bring up some concerns, they may be valid. They may have some truth to them. But the reality is when it's God's will, it's going to happen. Jesus had that perspective that, hey, I'm going, even though those people want to kill me. And this is what his response to his disciples. He tells them a parable of sorts to kind of illustrate what he's, what he's about to do to the disciples. They're like, they're going to kill you, Jesus. And Jesus, what he, this was his answer. He said, are, not, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is a person who walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that as long as you walk in the will of God, you cannot stumble. And I'm here to tell you that the days of your life are already numbered. The path, the call that God has for you is already laid out. And as long as you stay inside the will of God, you are untouchable until you carry out that work. Amen? The only thing that can stand in the path of the will of God is your own free will. That's it. And that's an internal thing. No external thing is going to stop you from accomplishing what God wants you to accomplish in your life. Jesus knew that. His job wasn't done. His time hadn't come. So his enemies couldn't murder him yet. And that's, that is true for Jesus, and that is true for you. And I want you to walk in confidence in your life that when you are submitted to the will of God, that you are untouchable, that you are going to accomplish God's will for your life. It's true. It's the way it is. And Jesus understood that. They couldn't murder him till it was... Uh, the appointed time. And so he was saying it's only those who are outside of the will of God, who are walking in darkness, who are going to stumble. No. And Jesus says, you know, he is the light of the world. Judea was in need of the light in life, and he was going to go, and he was going to bring it to them, no matter what the opposition was. Amen? And that's what Jesus was about to do. Verse 11. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus, has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Sleep. It's interesting that Jesus uses this phraseology or these words to describe what happened to Lazarus. What is sleep for? What is its function? Rest. Rejuvenation. It's there for our restoration. And the disciples thought, well, hey, that's a good thing. If Lazarus is asleep, you know, the natural thought is his body is going to heal itself, right? Won't he just get better? But Jesus says, no, I'm not talking about regular natural sleep. He was saying that his body lay in rest and his soul had left and his body lay resting in the grave just as all of our bodies rest in the grave 
awaiting the glorious day that Jesus Christ comes, right? We know that, that on some day Jesus is going to come back and the dead in Christ are going to rise, right? You know, where our souls aren't sleeping. Our souls are going to be in heaven, but our bodies lay at rest. And when Jesus comes, our bodies and our souls are going to be reunited. We're going to get glorified bodies. And, and until that day, they lay rest in the grave. And Jesus was saying, Lazarus' body is resting, that his soul had moved on because sleep is for the body and not for the soul. Jesus wasn't talking about regular sleep. So, when he, so he told them plainly, verse 14, he says, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I'm, I, I'm not there. I was not there. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. And again, we get clued in that God's going to do something amazing here. He's going to take this tragedy and turn it into something glorious. Why? So that we may believe in Jesus. That's what he was going to do. And so verse 16, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now he's not talking about Lazarus here. He's not saying, let's go and be dead like Lazarus. What he's saying is, okay, Jesus, if you want to go to where people want to kill you, we're going to go and, di and die with you. <laughs> you know, and that was, um, and you know, we've talked about Thomas before, that Thomas was that pessimistic personality. He had a commitment to Jesus, but he struggled with faith. It was the same Thomas who, the doubting Thomas, who didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And he said, put your fingers through my hands and, you know, put your hand in my side. This is the same, but this was like Thomas's shining moment. All right, let's go die with Jesus if he's going to go. Let us go die with him. And I think some of us today, we struggle to believe, but we're committed. And I'm telling you, I hope that the, through this story, God is going to stir your faith and give you confidence. And faith is going to rise in your life. And you're going to see God's purpose as more important than your own. And you're going to commit that God's going to use your body any way he sees fit for his glory so that others may believe. Amen. So verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for how many days? How long did it take Jesus from when he heard, from when the message was sent till he got there? Messenger, a day to tell him the message. He stayed where he was for two more days, days travel back to Lazarus. You know, many scholars believe that Jesus even had the divine wisdom to know that even if he had dropped what he was doing and had gone straight to Lazarus, that he probably, Lazarus would have passed away before he'd even gotten there. Interesting. It says he'd been laying in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss for their brother. Now, this kind of speaks to the social status of Lazarus' family. The fact that they were two miles 
from Jerusalem and that there were many people who came to comfort them and to help them mourn. And I tell you, in this time and in this culture, they didn't mourn the same way that we mourn. They would even hire people who would mourn and wail and cry and shriek in their grief for the loved one that had passed. And the fact that there was many, many people that were there with uh, Mary and Martha and their family to grieve the death of Lazarus kind of speaks that they were an influential family, that they had some sort of status and wealth. It's interesting that they were there. And I believe God was using this moment, and he was setting the stage for, for an audience for him to do his miracle. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. And again, we kind of see this role reversal here, don't we? Because we know the story of Mary and Martha. That, that uh, Martha, remember when Jesus came to visit them? And Martha was busy cooking and cleaning and doing all the busy work. And Mary has chosen to sit in front of Jesus and to learn from him and, she, and uh, hear from Jesus. And then Martha began to, to be upset with Mary and saying, I'm doing all this work and you're just sitting there. And Jesus said, no, Mary has chosen what is better. Martha, it is better to be with me than to be busy in life. Okay. Well, here we kind of see this role reversal where Martha, she runs out to meet Jesus and Mary stays at home. We all deal with grief in a different way, don't we? And when Jesus spoke the words that this sickness will not end in death, he, he likely spoke that to the messenger who came back and then told Mary and Martha. So Mary and Martha have this word from Jesus that, hey, the sickness is an end in death. Well, he, Lazarus died, and now they're stuck with, what do we do with that promise? Where do we go with that? Mary's at home grieving. Martha runs out to meet Jesus. And she went out to meet him. Mary stayed at home. <laughs> she runs. She meets Jesus. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said. And get, Guys, get this. I think that every one of us can identify with this statement right here. If you had been there my brother would not have died. How many of us have asked this question in some form? God, if only. If only you did this. If only you did that. You know, a lot of times when we meet a loved one, we always run back the play, play by play in our mind. If we did this differently, maybe it would have been different. Maybe if I would have stopped him, or, you know, maybe, what if, you know, but the answer those questions aren't the answer. But she was wrestling with this in her, her humanity, in her spirit. She had all the promises of God available to her, the promise that the sickness wouldn't end in death, but yet he died, and she's struggling with the questions. And Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. It's a statement of faith and of defeat. And I wonder how many of us have camped in that same camp in our lives. If only... God, you would have done this. We see her wrestling with the question, and she was asking it out of grief. But to her credit, she makes a powerful statement that can encourage us. She's wrestling with these questions, and we all wrestle with our own questions, don't we? But she says this, but I know, verse 22, I know that even now, 
God will give you whatever you ask. That's a powerful statement of faith. I think for each of us, we can draw some sort of encouragement from that. That no matter what we're going through, no matter what our circumstances look like, God, I know you can do whatever you want to do. And Jesus said to her, said this again, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You see, she was thinking that, yeah, she believes that Jesus was the Son of God. She knows that God has resurrection power. She believed in Jesus enough and in his statement enough to know that in the end, in the end he's going to you know, be reunited with his body, his soul and his uh, physical body going to be reunited. He's going to have a spiritual body. He's like, I know that's going to happen someday, Jesus. I know that. And Jesus looked at her. He said this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And that's the truth. He said, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, Jesus said, I am the resurrection I have power. That my power works on both sides of the fence. On this side of eternity and on that side. That his power is enough to work on both sides. He's saying, Mary, do you believe this? He's stirring up her faith. Your brother will rise again. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. My resurrection power is enough for your life now and in your eternity. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, Christ's resurrection power is enough. And just as he asked Martha, he is asking you today, do you believe that? Do you believe that I am the resurrection? That I have power for you here today in this moment as well as after you die and your spirit is in heaven? Do you believe that? Come on, church, do you believe that? Do you believe that this morning? That Jesus is a resurrection, no matter how bad things look. So her response to that question was, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah. She makes this great confession. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. That is her confession. Powerful. Verse 28, after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. Notice she tries to do this in private. She goes and she calls her sister Mary aside in private. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Most likely the tomb here. It says, when, when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And we see that God is setting the stage for this great miracle to take place. That although they meant to, to slip out in secret, that God brought others around to witness what was about to happen. 
And we see that we there's going to be a crowd of skeptic witnesses that enter the scene to witness what God's about to do. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, same thing as Martha. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's an interesting statement. I think it's important to note um, how many of you are familiar with the story of the centurion and his faith. That Jesus was in, uh, you know, in the crowds and he's preaching and teaching and a man came up to him and said, my servant is sick. And Jesus said, I will go to him. And the guy said, no, 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 no. I'm an officer in the army and, and I'm a man of authority. You have authority. When I tell a soldier to go, he goes. When I tell him to stay, he stays. I know that if you say the words, it will be done and my servant was going to be healed. And Jesus says, your faith is, you know, I haven't seen faith like this anywhere. You know, it is going to be, as you said, your servant is healed. Jesus could have just sent the word. He could have. In his divinity, he didn't have to drop what he was doing and go for this miracle to take place. But, the, you know, these ladies, they, they had that as a concept in their head, but they were struggling because they were grieving, and they were saying, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. John eleven thirty-five, shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. And in there lies tremendous truth that God is moved by your grief. You think he was crying because Lazarus was in heaven? Guess again. Jesus had God's perspective that this life isn't God's best for us. That, that he knows that, that Lazarus was in a better place. Hear me. But when he saw Mary and Martha and the people grieving, his heart, what does it say? His heart was deeply, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was troubled and he wept. God is moved by your grief. The cares on your heart are on God's heart as well. God cares about what you care about. He is not an impersonable God floating somewhere out there in the cosmos indifferent to your pain. That is not the God we serve. He is not indifferent to your pain. God feels grief for you and his heart breaks when your heart breaks and he loves you. And Jesus wept, wept over Lazarus. He wept over the people who are grieving for him. He was moved in his spirit and I tell you, when, when we have pain, God has pain too. It's the kind of pain where he wants his children to be happy. He has good things in store for us. And he weeps over you. Verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man had kept this man from dying? 
And of course the answer is yes. We know he could have. Skeptic witnesses. <laughs> so verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he said, take away the stone. He said, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. And what Jesus was doing was stirring their faith and telling them to put their faith into action. You imagine being one of the guys? Jesus says, roll that stone away. You're like, oh my, is he serious? You, you really want me to do that? It's gonna, this is not going to end well. There's a bunch of people here. This guy's been, you know, decomposing. It's a hot climate. You really want me to open this up? This is not going to be good. But Jesus, the, he said, roll the, the, roll the stone away. And there was a part that these people had to play saying, roll the stone away. Now, what if they, Mary and Martha said, no, he's going to stink. No, we're not opening this grave. We're not going to open. We're, we're not going to open it. Do you think they would have received their miracle? Probably not. But since he was saying, roll the stone away, you say you have faith, now put that faith into action, the man word part of the miracle was opening the tomb. And I'm here to tell you that the circumstances were bleak. It did not look good. The physics were all wrong. It, the, the, there was no way that this should happen. But it's never too late for God's resurrection power because God is the God of miracles. And in your life, it's never too late for God to do a miracle in your life too. It's never too late. Faith is a key to unlock the miraculous in your life. You have a key, and it is your faith, and you need to use it. If you never put the key in the lock and turn it, the door's not going to open. He's given you the key. He gave you the answer, but there's a physical part that we play in our own miracle. Amen? Put it in and turn it. Be encouraged. It's never too late for God to do something that doesn't make any sense at all. That is physically and scientifically impossible because that's the God we serve, the God of miracles. And so, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. Uh, but I say this for the benefit of the people here that they might believe you sent me. Wonderful words by Jesus. I love this prayer. Sometimes when I pray, I pray, God, I know you hear me. Because Jesus gives us insight that God always hears our prayers. That when we pray in the name of Jesus, your prayer is heard. It reaches God's ear. And God said that for our benefit. So that we may believe. And God always hears your prayer. So in verse 43, when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Called him by name. And the dead man came out with his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Right? 
Woo! Oh, Lord. You know what I'm saying? That's a miracle. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Hallelujah. Take them off. And there's great symbolism in these grave clothes. We're going to wrap this thing up. There's great symbolism in the grave clothes. The fact that we were all once spiritually dead, bound by sin, but through Jesus Christ's resurrection power, we can be set free. God is saying, take those grave clothes off. Take them off. Don't walk as though you were dead. Walk as though you were a child of the king. We are no longer dead. So take off these grave clothes. So I want to give you four takeaways from this story, just as a recap. Number one, thing I believe that God is speaking to someone here today, specifically as an individual, not as a group. God is saying to one of you that my plan is greater than your circumstances. Yeah, you might be in a tough spot. Yeah, things might look bleak. Yeah, you're struggling. But my plan is greater than that. That that doesn't define how I feel about you. That that doesn't mean that your miracle's not going to happen. That it's too late. That doesn't mean that, that my plan is greater than your circumstances. God is saying that to you. And the second thing I want you to know is that God is moved by your pain. He's not indifferent. He doesn't, he, he's, he doesn't not care about you. He does. He cares deeply. He cares so deeply about you and what hurts you. He's not indifferent to that. He feels that when you feel that. He sympathizes. He weeps over you. The third thing I want, I want to point out this morning is faith is a key to unlock the miraculous in your life. So stir up your faith today, folks. Stir it up. Put it into action. Don't sit on the sidelines. Don't wait to do what God has plainly called you to do. Roll that stone away. Take those grave clothes off. Don't sit there with the answer and never realize the miracle. Use your faith. Faith is a key. Here's the last thing. Here's the last thing. Is Christ's resurrection power is big enough to bring life to any circumstance you may be facing. It's big enough. Do you believe this? What in your life is dead? What area do you need Christ's resurrection power in? Are you here and you're feeling spiritually dead? God's resurrection power is enough. Are you here and you're struggling in your physical body, waiting for a miracle? Christ's resurrection power is enough. It works on both sides of the grave, folks. Both sides. Both this life and the next. Do you need Christ's resurrection power physically? 
What about emotionally? Is there a place in your life where you feel emotionally dead or numb or beat down or run down? God is saying my resurrection power is enough for you today. It works in your emotions and I can set you free and I can give you joy. I can give you peace. I can give you breakthroughs. I can give you miracles. Come to me. I will heal you. I will raise you to life. I will speak and the resurrection power will move in your bodies. Where in your life do you need Christ's resurrection power? I'd like to challenge you. I've asked Bobby to lead us in worship. And if you need a miracle, let's get it. Run to Jesus. He is the answer. His resurrection power is enough for you. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to ask all of us just to stand in this moment. If you need something, come down to the altar. I'd love to pray with you. Let's go to Jesus together, amen? Yes, Lord, we believe. We believe, God. We believe that you're enough. We believe that you are more than, than anything we could ever imagine, God. And we just say yes to you today. We say yes to you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We want to live for you, Jesus. Have your way in our life on earth as it is in heaven. God, we thank you for your word and for the truth that lies within. Lord, may it sink deep into our hearts. May it change us and cleanse us and make us whole. May it be a rock for us to stand upon as we live out our life for you. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for what you've done here today. And we give you free reign. We let go of the control of our lives and lay it at the altar as a sacrifice for you. Do what you will so that you may be glorified, so others can know you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <sighs> Praise the Lord. Well, I, w I just want to say, guys, thank you for sticking with me this morning. Thank you for coming here to the Gateway Church. God has good things in store for you. Seek him in your life, and he will come through. He, you will see his faithfulness. And if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, as I kind of release the rest of the congregation, I invite you to come down to pray with me. Today could be your day. And the rest of you go in the grace of God. Love one another as you go. Go be Jesus to somebody and bring resurrection life to somebody in your world this week. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.